Today's scripture reading is Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to be with you all. We love being a part of this church. Oh, thank you. You've been so kind to us in the time that we've been here, and we thank God for each and every one of you. Well, this morning I'd like to preach to us from the Word of God on the subject of the cross of Christ. That's why the scripture reading from Isaiah 53, and you know the, the hymn we sang, the song, The Power of the Cross, it was everything I'm going to say. I mean, if you got that, if you really got that, we could say amen and go home. <laughs> it's amazing how wonderful that was. But uh, here we go, the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to read to you several selections from the Scripture regarding the cross of Christ. The first one is in 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 24 for Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, 
to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, as we take the Lord's Supper, we are to remember that for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. And Galatians 6, 14. But God forbid that I should boast or glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What you see, the common theme through all these texts, is the centrality of the cross of Christ. The word of the cross, preach Christ crucified, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, proclaim the Lord's death, should not boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you're ever interested in becoming a Christian, you need to know this, that it's all about the cross. That's the central point of the Christian faith and of everything that the Bible reveals and of which this church, by the way, believes. And it's a weird belief system in one sense the cross, a, a bloody spectacle, a public execution. Children might say, gross. The secular folks say, what nonsense. But it's true, God must open the mystery of the cross to you or you'll never, ever get the Bible. Or you'll never understand God. Man can never understand that bloody crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that it was anything more than just a historic event, that it was really, it's the most extravagant display of grace in the history of the world. And as Christians, brothers and sisters, we grow only as we grow in our appreciation for the cross. The cross must have a central place in the everyday thinking of a Christian. It's the foundation of all our confidence. This is how we're brought into a loving relationship with a holy God. And it's the blood that was shed there that can cleanse our everyday sins and relieve our sorely oppressed conscience. I'm going to ask us five questions today, and guess what? I get to give the answers. I've been a preacher of this gospel for over 50 years. I adapted the outline for this sermon from a pastor friend of mine, and, and the gospel message is simple. It's been true of, from when God saved me. I was a teenager. I was 
God was working in my heart. I was reading sermons by Charles Spurgeon on the blood and the cross of Christ out in Arizona and lived in northern Arizona in Flagstaff, and our high school was big enough, so we did a lot of road time traveling to Phoenix to play the bigger high schools in different sport, all the sports. And this one occasion, I was during football season, I was in the back of the bus, and I was reading these sermons by Spurgeon on the, the cross of Christ. And I, it was such a powerful work of God in my soul I was there by myself in the back corner of the bus just reading, and I thought I was, things just became so intense in my soul, I thought I was going to explode or implode. I could barely take it, and, but I was calling out to Christ to save me from my sins because of what the Son of God did for me on the cross. That gospel, it's a simple gospel. It's, it's an unchanging gospel, unchanging from the time Spurgeon wrote it to the time my friend and I have been preaching it, and, and it's certainly a life-changing gospel. I hope you'll listen very carefully to the gospel as it's centered in the cross of Jesus Christ today. Five questions. Number one, what do the Scriptures mean when they speak of the cross? The cross of Christ. Well, it's not referring to that necklace folks wear around their neck, or, and it doesn't refer to the, what's on top of the church steeple. It doesn't even refer to that original wooden structure that's on that mountain outside of Jerusalem called Calvary or Golgotha. The cross, as we read of it in the Scripture, is the historical fact and the significance of that fact. It's the fact of the historical cross and the biblical interpretation of that fact. It was a strange day outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Three men were nailed to crosses outside of the city. That was the Roman way of putting, of capital punishment and putting prisoners to death. The one in the middle was especially beaten and bloody. His name was Jesus. He was the one attracting such a large crowd. And there were strange happenings that day. Jewish historians verify every one of them. It began at 9 o'clock in the morning when Jesus was nailed to that wooden structure and placed in such a way that he hung above the earth on that cross. It lasted for six hours until three o'clock. At noon, total darkness covered the earth. At that very time of three o'clock in the afternoon, the earth began to quake, the rocks tore from one another, the veil, that curtain in the temple, that's a multi-layered curtain, four inches thick, pour right down the center, making the two inner rooms of the temple to be one room. It was a death. A real person and a real wooden cross with real iron spikes. 
This Jesus was hanging there in the shame of his nakedness. And in excruciating pain, indescribable pain. You know the word excruciating? Heard that word. Excruciating. It's made of two words, ex and excruciating. Out of, ex, out of, cruciating the crucifixion. Excruciating pain. What we have described by the cross is the epitome of the greatest pain. If you were there, you would have seen the scribes and the priests. They were glaring. The crowd was gawking. The soldiers were gloating. Jesus' followers were grimacing. And the two men who were crucified on either side of Jesus. It was a real historic event. Just like 9-11, it happened. Just like the Super Bowl that happened a few weeks ago, it happened in real time. Do you know our whole calendar system is set up on the life and death of Jesus Christ? This year is 2023. Because Jesus came 2,023 years ago. Jesus' death on the cross really happened. It's actual history. But what really matters is the Bible's interpretation of that event. So our second question is this. Who was this Jesus who died? After all the Roman deaths, and there were lots and lots of them, after all the Roman deaths, what makes this crucifixion so special? What makes this execution, where there's hundreds of millions of followers of this man Jesus who was put to death on Calvary's Mount that day, and there are many people around the world today who would give their lives for that man on the center cross. People today in China, Brazil, Africa, Germany, Dubai, Mexico, here in America. We love him so much that we would die for him. And all of us, all these people, believe that their eternal destinies hang on the significance of what he did there that day. Who was he? He was God. Nothing less than God living in a human body. He was the eternal creator, God. God in the person of Jesus Christ came to reveal God. Jesus is the outshining of God's person. He's the imprint of his being. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This one known as Jesus, put to death on that ugly instrument of death, was God the Son. He was all man, but he was also all God.
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, but there was not anything that was ever made or created that He did not make. And this Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, even the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This word, this Jesus, this man was God. And that's why he was given the name Emmanuel, God with us. Third question, why was he there? If that's who he was, why was he there? And the answer is certainly not for his own sins, because he was the innocent and spotless Lamb of God. John the Baptist saw him coming one day and he said, There he is, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Why then was he there? No sin, no crimes. And it's true, he was completely perfect and innocent. And he was also vindicated. You take God the Father who did not have the slightest disappointment in his voice or wrinkle in his brow when he said, both at the baptism of his son and the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Also vindicated by his own disciples, who saw him and they were with him at times when he was weary and hungry and chased and crowded and threatened Yet there was only ever a perfect purity, a patience, and a loveliness. Peter said of him, I think quoting Isaiah 53, saying that he never sinned, never was there any deceit in his mouth. Not once. His closest associates, they affirmed him, okay. Well, what about his enemies? What did they say of him? Well, take Judas, his betrayer. He brought those 30 pieces of silver, and he threw them back to the chief priest, and he says, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. Pilate, at the end of that ridiculous trial, as he washed his hands, he said, I am innocent of the blood of this just man. Then remember the soldier at the foot of the cross. After having participated in the scourgings and the crucifying, his heart melted when his eyes were opened, and he said, truly, this man is the Son of God. And even the Jews, with all their conflicting lies, their best accusation was that Jesus said, I can destroy this temple and raise it up again in three days. Was that anything worthy of death? So then why was he there? Why? And the answer is this, for the crimes that were laid to his charge. In his person, he was innocent. In his position, he was guilty. The Scripture calls Jesus the last Adam. Think of Adam and Eve in the garden. 
Adam the first Adam, Jesus the second Adam. They're the two great representatives of the two people groups, Adam and Christ. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Adam personally was in the garden, but Adam positionally stood for the entire human race. It's like it's your football game. Before the game starts, they send out the captain of the team, and they flip the coin. Whatever happens to that captain, in terms of what he called and what the coin says, whatever happens to him, win or lose, happens to his whole team. He's representing his whole team. Christ, in his person, was innocent, but in his position, he was the representative for his people. He was the covenant head of those who have and will come to God. So why was he there? Jesus was hanging there, taking the responsibility for the sins of those he came to save. And those graphic scenes of torture were evidences of what was going on between the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Son of the living God was hanging there in the place of others. Number four question, what was really happening to Jesus on the cross? Listen to the Scripture again, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made Him to be sin for us who never sinned, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. What was happening to Jesus on the cross? It was the non-sparing of the Father. It was the pouring out of the Father's holy justice on His Holy Son as our substitute. All the punishment that God's law demanded of lawbreakers, those that Christ represented, was laid that day on Jesus. Those sins of ours required death, for the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins must die. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. What happened to Jesus on the cross? Justice. Holy justice. The Son of God was taking our place and the hell that we deserve. He was our substitute. The Son takes a position between His people and His God. With His soul-cleansing blood, He covers us under the shadow of His omnipotence, saying, Father, I place these behind me. 
those that deserve all the wrath of a holy God, let that wrath break open upon me. I'll take it. I'll pay it. I'll stand in their place. Who was putting Jesus to death that day? Kathy and I lived for a time in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. I was a missions coordinator and traveled a lot, but when I was home, I liked to finish up in the office and head over to Gold's Gym and, and have a good workout. Get on the bikes and on the treadmill and lift the weights and work up a good sweat. And uh, it was very close to the church we were part of. And on Wednesdays uh, during prayer meeting, or before prayer meeting, I'd Work out real hard, then next door was a pizza place. I'd go next door and eat pizza. <laughs> well, this particular time is when Mel Gibson's movie came out, The Passion of the Christ. Our church ordered several ca cases of books uh, that John Piper wrote explaining the cross of Christ, and, and it does a wonderful job doing that. So I grabbed a handful of books, and after my workout that day, I was going next door to Masano's Pizza, and, and the Masano's were from Naples, Italy, so they had obvious things, a Madonna and uh, different things to show that they're the Catholic faith, and went in there fully intending to talk to them about Christ and the cross. So while this guy's making my pizza, I'm standing there talking to him, and I say, hey, let me ask you, have you gone to see the, this movie? He said, no. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Who was it that was putting Jesus to death on that cross? You believe that? Yes. Who was it that was putting him to death? Was it the Romans? Was it the Jews? Was it the devil? Who was the one that was really executing and putting to death Jesus on the cross? He said, Obviously, he thought that was a trick question or he didn't want to get caught. So he says, well, what do you think? <laughs> Answer a question with a question, right? So what do you think? My answer was his father. And he looked at me stunned with a blank look. How could a father do that to his son? How could you say that? But I brought to him that very verse that, again, Cassidy read in Isaiah 53 in verse 10. But it was the will of God, the will of Jehovah, to crush him and to put him to grief. God was the master of ceremonies that day. It was God that was pouring out his just wrath upon his son, bruising, crushing, satisfying, offended justice, pouring out that judicial anger for sin on His own Son. Jesus paid that price for us. He was there for me. In my place. Paying the penalty for sins I deserved. My sins. Sin, sins that could not be overlooked. Number, question number five. What benefits come to sinners from the cross? Jesus cried out, it is finished. 
What was finished? Sin bearing was finished. Justice is satisfied. His work is accepted by the Father, and we know this full well because God the Father raised him from the dead, accepting his atoning sacrifice in the place of sinners. Sin debts fully played, paid for in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, sins cannot be paid for by our acts of penance or any large efforts to curry favor with God and good works. Be, try to be as good as you can to please God and be accepted by Him. It ain't going to work. Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. And one day when I finally woke up to this great transaction, I realized that everything I deserved fell upon Him. And everything He deserved fell upon me. For God made His Son, who never sinned, to become sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And it moves my soul to cry out, Hallelujah! What a Savior! Man of sorrows, what a name! For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Say it with me, Hallelujah! What a Savior! Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned He stood, sealed my pardon, with his blood, hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And when he comes, our glorious king, all is ransomed home to bring. Then anew, this song will sing, hallelujah, what a savior. Friend, get into Christ. No matter what, you, what else you ever do in this life, get into Christ. Nothing more important where the Father will apply your sins to Christ's account and He will apply Christ's perfect righteousness to your account. You've got to experience a, a fusion of your person to Jesus Christ. Like two vertebrae get fused together, the two become one. Like a man and a woman enter in and they're married and the two Become one. They're no longer two, but they're one. Come to Christ. Give your heart and life to Christ. Be married to Jesus Christ. Become one with Jesus Christ. Your sins will be removed. His righteousness will be given. And you will stand accepted fully and totally accepted with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. God is just, and the just are those who believe in Jesus. You simply come by faith. Cry out to Jesus Christ, Lord, have mercy upon this sinner. 
Join me to Jesus as my only hope and Savior. Christian, let me give you a few thoughts I hope will be helpful. You must accept the truth that comes with this redemption. Jesus drained the cup of God's holy justice. He satisfied every bit of God's wrath toward your sin. It's all finished. If Christ has satisfied God's holy demands on your behalf, then you are accepted with God. And though we still struggle with sins, and we do, I do, every day I confess my sins, but we stand in grace. We're accepted in the beloved. And we have no need to feel guilty anymore. Jesus has borne the penalty for you. No need to feel shame anymore. Jesus' righteousness has been clothed, has clothed you. No need to live in fear anymore. You have a triumphant Savior that right now is at the right hand of God, and He's praying, pleading, and standing for you. He's for you. And your ongoing efforts cannot earn you more of God's love. Christians, God loves you. Let that sink in. God loves you. And He'll never stop loving you. He loves you as much today as He did yesterday. And you can't get Him to love you more tomorrow than He does right now, today. You could do nothing but believe that work is finished. Spurgeon, Pastor Spurgeon said this, I delight in the thought that we shall see Jesus upon the throne of God, but I sometimes wish I could have seen Him on the cross. For it was there that His love reached its climax as He bore my sins in His own body on the tree. Alas, listen to the question, questions of this hymn writer. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I have done He groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. So brothers and sisters, if, if Jesus died to make us holy, then be ye holy. Be holy and enjoy all the benefits that are yours in Jesus Christ. Daddies and mamas and husbands and wives. Let's bring our tempers to the cross. Let's bring our impatience to the cross. Let's bring the ways in which we're so easily provoked to the cross. And depend upon that victorious Savior who conquered sin. Depend upon Christ Jesus and what He did there 
on Golgotha for you that day. Study Jesus. His way with his disciples when they, were, when they said stupid things. They were so insensitive. And they displayed such, such numbskullish. Is that a word? Numbskullish selfishness. Learn at his feet. True meekness and humility and graciousness. And go to the cross. From the feet of Christ to the cross. Go there. And let the words amazing pity. Grace unknown. And love beyond degree. Fill our hearts and minds. And keep us on course. And strengthen our souls by God's Holy Spirit. To be just like Jesus. If you're not a Christian. And I close with these thoughts. If you're not a Christian. I hope you can see that your sin is serious. You are what the Bible describes as a sinner. And I don't say that to say that I'm any better than you. In fact, I tell folks down where we live and minister, I'm the biggest sinner in Atlanta, Georgia. And I believe that. I'm no better than you. I'm a great sinner that needs a great Savior. All of us here today have sat where you sit and have had to deal with this very issue that your sins are separating you from God. And we've had to say within ourselves, guilty, vile, and helpless we. But Jesus came to this world to save guilty sinners. He loves to save helpless sinners. In fact, this is a faithful saying and worthy for everybody to accept that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul could say, I'm the worst of them all. The more you see your sin, the more you see the glories and the grace of Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus because he loves to save his people from their sins. So from his gaping wounds, he says, come. From his, the agony he suffered on Mount Calvary, he says, come. For all you that are weary and heavy laden, he says, come. Come unto me. Come unto me. And know that right now he is exalted high in heaven and he's still saying to you, come. Come unto me. Are you weary of trying to figure it all out on your own? Trying to impress God and others? Chasing satisfaction in this world? The best thing I can say to you today is give it up and go to the cross. Give it up and go to the cross. And if you do, you'll end up saying with the rest of us, Hallelujah, what a Savior. This is the truth of Christ's substitutionary atonement. Without it being applied to your soul, you will perish forever. With it being applied, you have peace with God and shall never, ever again come under condemnation. Come to the cross and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. To God be the glory.